0: Riley Chase, welcome to the Anti-Hackers Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Riley, you are a software engineer living in Michigan. You are the founder of a company called Hostify, and you recently hit a pretty cool milestone with your business. You hit $100,000 in annual recurring revenue just last week. That's a super healthy number. So congratulations. How's it feel?
1: Thanks. Definitely feels good. I'm very surprised that you know I've made it here in just a little over a year.
0: One of your very first milestones that you posted to your product page on Indie Hackers is, I'm reading it now, June 1st, 2018. One paying customer, $5, and monthly recurring revenue. So that was the very beginning. And under that, you explain that Hostify's first customer signed up from 4,000 miles away. So you seem to know exactly who it was and where they lived. Tell me about getting to that point of earning your very first dollar for Hostify.
1: First of all, that, uh, that customer, actually, I didn't know who they were. And I knew that they signed up from the Netherlands because uh, Stripe told me that. But uh, I'll always remember like when I got that first customer, I remember where I was, I was in my truck driving to work and I saw a little notification pop up on my phone that Stripe had a $5 payment. And it was like an awesome feeling, you know, when you get your first customer, first time I sold anything online really of my own like software product. Very cool. Um, Yeah. So like getting to that point was several months of like struggling. I never worked as like a... As a software engineer, like as a in a software role, I was mainly like a network engineer, like a phone system engineer kind of guy. So I knew I had learned programming, like a little bit of Python. I'd I'd made little projects here and there for a couple of years, but I'd never built like a website really that had like authentication and like billing and like all these things. So it actually took me like several months to, that was the hardest part was like figuring out, you know, the checkout process and um, the user dashboard, like what the... Software actually does. Like I was pretty confident with like writing the Python code for that, but creating putting the whole thing together took months. That's pretty crazy. You're learning how to code, learning how to be a web developer at the
0: same time that you were learning to build your business. Uh, I'm curious what kind of expectations you had for yourself at that point, because just learning web development on its own is a pretty ambitious undertaking. Let alone expecting to build something good enough for people to actually want to use it and pay you money for it.
1: Yeah. So like my inspiration to start like. In particular, a software as a service company was from reading a book. It's called actually called The Millionaire Fastlane by MJ DeMarco. And it sounds like a really cheesy title, but um, it was actually what the book was about was about how to create like a product instead of like a service business. It was actually written by the founder of limos.com. He talked about a different bunch of different ways about like why a product is easier to scale and it's better than a service business. And one of the things he said in his book was that, you know, one of the best things you can do is start a software company. And it, what's even better than that is if you can start a software as like a service company, cause it's recurring revenue. So, I mean, that really got me thinking about software as a service. And then I started like looking up how to start a software as a service company. And I came across a book called the micro ebook by Tyler Tringas. And so that was like my big inspiration of like what ideas to pick and like you know, how to, how to go about like doing this, this software as a service bootstrapper thing. Sounds
0: like you learned a lot from, from books and reading. And when you go that route, you end up encountering some of the same advice over and over again, kind of cliche advice that people are tired of hearing and yet still don't really follow for some reason. One of those pieces of advice is to solve your own problem. So I'm wondering if that's what you did with Hostify. Were you solving your own problem or were you solving a problem for other people?
1: Exactly. Yeah. I was actually solving a problem that I had myself and, um, one of my ideas that I thought was better was to solve a problem for someone else. Like a problem I didn't have. um, One of my ideas was like, I had a couple of requests on Upwork recently because I had like an Upwork profile. I did like freelance work and stuff. And like a couple of people asked me to build this like tool for them to keep track of phone calls for a free PBX phone system. So that was like the idea that I was going to go with. It was a problem I hadn't experienced before, but um, the reason I chose the problem that I ended up solving with Hostify was it was something I had experienced and it seemed easier to me as a first project, but I didn't have I didn't have high expectations for it because it was my first project. And I was just going to be really happy if I could get a couple customers and I was going to use this as like my learning experience. And I had plans to, you know, kind of get my foothold with figuring out how to make a software as a service company and then try again with something more quote unquote complicated. It just seemed like a really simple idea. And then uh, it ended up being the one that worked the first try. So yeah,
0: that's pretty great. And I love this approach of having low expectations from the beginning, because if you go into your first business thinking, hey, this is just a learning experience and it's probably going to fail, then you're in a really good position. If things work out well, that's a pleasant surprise. And if things don't work out, no big deal. That's exactly what you expected. And in fact, you still accomplished your original goal of learning a lot and becoming more formidable as a founder for the next time around. And I think I would go even further in saying that managing your psychology as a founder is pretty much half the battle. As long as you can sort of mentally frame things such that you won't get dejected or overly frustrated, then you won't quit. And quitting is a reason why businesses fail.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that was like the biggest thing that got me through was just like knowing that this is just like a learning process and not having that high expectation of, or I was never disappointed about not growing or or this or that. I was just like, you know, this is learning process. And I know that if I keep on doing this, I'll learn the skills that I need to do something better next time.
0: Okay. You mentioned something here that I want to talk about, which is that a software as a service business is one of the best types of businesses that you can start. You get monthly recurring revenue. It's very scalable. You can reach millions of people with the same amount of code. Whereas a services business is the exact opposite. It doesn't make money while you sleep. If you want to take on more customers, you have to work more hours or hire, et cetera. But there's a flip side to all this, which is that a services business is very easy to get started with. I know people who open web design shops or who do SEO consulting, and they're making five figures in their very first month. Whereas with SaaS, you've got kind of a ramp-up period. So it took you a few months just to get your software built and find your first customer who only really paid you $5. How did you support yourself, and how did you stay motivated during this early stage ramp-up period where everything's growing super slowly?
1: Um, yeah. So the first question, like, how did I support myself? Like, I definitely didn't like read that book and then quit my job right away and say like, I'm going to start a SaaS business. I had I had realistic expectations because I had read Tyler Tringus's story with Store uh, StoreMapper was a big inspiration to me, and his MicroSaaS ebook was a big inspiration. So like, I had realistic expectations. StoreMapper went on to become probably a, it was like four hundred thousand dollars a year, I think, when he sold it. So a big business, but. um it took uh that first year he only got it to two thousand dollars a month, so that was my expectation was if I can get this business to two thousand dollars m r r by the end of the year, this could be a really great business. so I mean that was like my low expectation, and here it is like a year later, and i've I've got it past eight thousand dollars a month. but my expectation was two thousand being like the best case scenario,
0: right you probably couldn't quit your job and support yourself off of two thousand dollars a month, yeah. What about the second half of this question? What about the motivation? How did you keep yourself going early on when things were just progressing so slowly?
1: The motivation, that part was really hard because it was very like unmotivating. I I struggled a lot. So like I, I knew a little bit of Python, but like I said, I hadn't built like a full blown website with authentication. I knew HTML and CSS and I built little PHP sites and stuff. But like the motivation to keep going was really hard because I actually tried several different Python frameworks like Django, Flask, and I just had a hell of a time getting things to work. I actually couldn't get it to work at all. I ended up doing something pretty like unusual. Like For my stack, my software stack, I actually ended up getting WordPress with a bunch of plugins. And then the, uh, I wrote the Python code, which I was comfortable with, but I wasn't comfortable with the user dashboard and the billing and all that stuff. So I had WordPress do all that. And then and to the day, to this day, the site's the same. I'm re- working on rewriting it, but it still works this way. Basically, um, when the user signs up, it gets saved in the database in WordPress. Python reads that database and then does stuff and then saves stuff back to the database. So um, it was kind of it's kind of like a unique, weird technology stack. And it was because I had such a hard time um, made, making my own like framework and using Django and Flask and stuff. One of the cooler patterns
0: I've seen from talking to founders is that sometimes you either can't code. Or when you're struggling to learn how to code, you end up building things a lot faster than others because you're not overly ambitious. You're not trying to build every feature under the sun. You're just like, hey, I'm trying to get this one feature working. And if that happens, then I'm good. I'm golden. That's all I need. I wonder if this applies to you. Do you think that's why you're able to build something just working nights and weekends on the side of your full time job?
1: Yeah, I totally can relate to that. And like I said, I had uh, more ambitious ideas, but this was like, the simplest idea is like, basically like create a server, install software on it, give the login to that server to the customer in their dashboard. It's like, literally like, I think I posted, it was like, it was like a thousand lines of code or something was like the total amount of code that I wrote. But like I said, like I, I didn't know programming that well. I didn't use a lot of like functions. Uh, I didn't do any test like code tests. I didn't write any code tests or like, I don't know. Like I just really just tried to make it work.
0: How many hours would you estimate that you were working back then?
1: I definitely put a lot of hours into it during those first couple months. It'd be hard to quantify like how many, the reason I had a lot of time was, um, my girlfriend then she's my fiance now, but she was working night shift, uh, or like second shift. So like, I'd come home from work. She wouldn't be there till like 11 o'clock. So from like after work till like, so like, you know, five, six hours a day, you know, from like five to 11 PM, I'd work on it and try to get it to work. So I did that for a couple months. And there was, I think there was a few weeks in the middle of that where I, I gave up and I was like, maybe I'll try this again in a few years. And then, you know, I got my motivation back and I gave it another try. So we're definitely going to get into a lot of the things that you tried that didn't work that were perhaps
0: demotivating, but let's rewind for a second. Cause we didn't fully flesh out how you came up with the idea for Hostify. You said it was a problem that you had experienced yourself how did you even experience that problem for one? And number two, how did you know that other people would pay for it and be interested in a solution?
1: Oh yeah. So I forgot to say like, um, it was a problem that I had. And I, the reason I found that problem is because I, I tried to start like my own service business for like four years before this, where I did, I never went really full time or I did for a few months here and there, but I had a service business where it's was like IT services for like businesses and stuff. And so one of my, uh, services that I did was like installing network equipment. So like um, routers, switches, wireless access points. And so one solution I found that was like really cool was, you know, this unified solution where you can connect all your network devices to one server and you can manage all your customers from one place. And so um, the software is free. So like the company I ended up starting Hostify, it provides managed hosting for that. So um, that's where the idea came from, was from my own, like, it took me like a week or something because I had to like, look on GitHub to find some scripts on how to install the SSL certificate and create a server on Vulture and like do all these different things. So, um, and then whenever there's an update that comes out, you have to like run some commands. And so, I mean, there were like, and then I had to figure out how to do like backups to another provider. So there's like a few problems I had to solve on my own, which took me like some time. It wasn't a lot of time, but it was something that was easy to automate for other people. So they didn't have to spend that initial couple hours, like learning how to get set up and everything assuming that they had the knowledge I have of like using Linux and stuff. A lot of my customers, they don't know how to like use Linux as well or whatever. So, you know, it just makes it easier for them. So I don't
0: know very much about the space that you're in. I don't know very much about networking software. I've never heard of Ubiquity, which is the company that you're sort of building your software for. How did you think about the size of your market and that kind of stuff when you first got started?
1: So it's extremely niche. And that's been my biggest concern all along. And why I'm even surprised that I got, as far as I did with it, $100,000 a year um, revenue. Yeah, it's definitely super niche. It's like a niche within a niche within a niche. Um, you know, Ubiquity is a, a billion dollar company. So they're a pretty big company. They make network equipment, they give the software away for free. And then anyone who buys their hardware is potentially my customer, but I've kind of targeted one specific group of people who buy their their hardware, which is IT service providers. So I target them specifically. So like I said, it's a niche within a niche within a niche. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about getting your first customer. Did
0: you have some sort of launch? Did you just sort of put your website online and cross your fingers? How did they find your website?
1: Well, um, what I did is like the first The first thing I did was um, I was targeting home users. I didn't think, you know, this is before I found product market fit and found out that my best customers are going to be the IT service providers And so I was targeting, like, home users and stuff. The first things that I did to launch the site was, like, uh, you know, the site's online. And then I went out and, like, started spamming everywhere. Didn't have any luck with that. Like, I put a post on um, Reddit. It got deleted right away. I put a post on (laughs) Ubiquiti's forums and Facebook pages and pretty much every official Ubiquiti channel. I posted something about it and immediately it was, like, reprimanded, you know, the they took it down and everyone told me, like, don't do that again. You know, that's spamming. We can't do any self-promotion here, blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, I don't even know how I got my first customer. But I, one thing I did was I started reaching out to people on direct message on the forum. I sent like uh, on Ubiquity forums, I sent like 25 or 50 people uh, a DM saying, hey, like I just started this thing. What do you think about it? Yeah,
0: I think the direct messaging route is kind of better because number one, you don't get your posts deleted. They're not publicly visible and annoying everybody in the forum or group or wherever you're posting. But number two, Mm -hmm. it's just more personal. So people can actually engage with you in a conversation. They can tell you why they'll buy or they can tell you why they won't or what they need. And you can just like talk to them and have an actual conversation and be more persuasive because at that point you switched from sort of a mass marketing-based approach to a sales-based approach.
1: Yeah, actually, I didn't have any luck with it either though. So like... (laughs) I think I sent like 25 to 50 DMs, like I said, but, um, maybe like three or four people wrote me back. And I think the reason is like, I've learned a lot about marketing since then, but like, uh, back then I had like no business, like marketing sense really. So I was like, I was like, uh, thinking like people want the cheapest thing or like, you know, so I sent like a message just like, Hey, we have the cheapest toasting for this thing. And, um, I didn't really ask. I didn't try to make relationships with people and say like, Hey, what do you think about this? Like I'm, uh, an, you know an indie software developer and like i made this thing and looking for feedback that's how i would say it today you know but back then i was just like kind of spamming people and not getting any response and not really knowing why so i think i learned a lot from that i learned a lot from like realizing you know like pricing and and talking to people directly like how to get a conversation going instead of just spamming you know well, you've learned a lot over the last year and I can kind of follow along on your timeline
0: on your product page at Indie Hackers because you've added milestones for all sorts of things. So June 1st of last year, you got your first paying customer. Then I can see on June 13th, June 28th, July 10th, you just kept releasing feature after feature. So you weren't just spamming forums, you're also building your app and making it better. And then on July 16th, you posted that you got to 25 paying customers and $300 in monthly recurring revenue. So it kind of seems like you figured out how to get customers in a repeatable way.
1: What happened there? So I tried a lot of things and um, uh, I tried to do some advertising, like Facebook, Twitter. It didn't really work. But one thing that did work was like Google ads. So like I I started bidding on like search terms for Unify hosting. And I think I got a few customers from that. And then... But I think it was like, I was trying a lot of different stuff. One thing that started working for me was uh, Twitter was one of the first tools that started to work for me. I What I did is I went on Twitter, create a hostify, like a Twitter account for my company. And then I went and started liking and following and replying to anyone who was talking about Ubiquity or Unify Equipment, the specific stuff that, um, that I do. I started to gain like a small following from that, I'm trying to think what else... Uh, that was a big one, though, because one of the differences between like Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn is like with a Facebook and a LinkedIn page, you really don't have that level of interaction. You can't, as a business, follow a customer on or follow someone on LinkedIn or or Facebook. So Twitter, it really allowed me to like directly interact with people as a business.
0: Yeah, there's a common theme among everything you're saying, and it's another startup cliche. We already talked about solving your own problem but uh, this particular cliche is to do things that don't scale. In the beginning of your business, you don't really have to be that clever, that smart, or even that knowledgeable. You just have to be willing to put in the hours, put in the effort, sort of bang your head against a wall. And it sounds like you definitely kept doing that. You kept messaging people one on one, for example, and you never really stopped.
1: Yeah, that was definitely a big one. And like, like one of the hardest things was I didn't know anyone that uh, that needed this, uh, so it wasn't like I could. Um, have some friends as my first customers or something. Cause I really didn't know anyone that needed what I was selling. So uh, it was really trying to find people online and um, from reading like Tyler's book on micro like looking for those places where your people congregate. And so for me, that was like hashtags or like searching on Twitter for different things that people were talking about trying to find these places where people congregate. That was like an open platform because obviously they congregate on the Reddit. They congregate on the ubiquity official pages and stuff, but I don't have access to those. So I had to find other ways. Let's talk about your mindset during this phase, because I think a lot of people would just quit.
0: If you're trying to reach (laughs) out to anyone and everyone and all these different watering holes where your customers hang out and that's not working, and then you start reaching out to customers one-on-one, trying to sell them on what you're doing, and that's not really working well either, then that sucks. It's pretty easy to think at that point, you know what, this isn't a good idea. It's too niche. I don't know anybody in the space. So you know what, I'm going to chalk it up to bad luck. I learned a lot but it's time to move on to the next thing. Why didn't you think that way? And did you perhaps have some sort of date in mind, like a quit date where you would move on if things didn't work out by that time?
1: Um, I definitely didn't have a quit date in mind. And um, for me, this was this was just entirely a learning experiment. I didn't have expectations at all for it to be a success. And um, for me, when I was doing all these things, it was like, hey, I'm learning about how to do marketing and doing things I've never done before. So for me, it was just like, I'm learning how to create a SaaS business. I'm learning how to find customers. And I was never really concerned about um, the fact that I was spending tons and tons of hours on something and not getting a return on it. I think that's, that's the biggest mindset problem is like when you try to relate SaaS to your hourly and you're like thinking like, wow, I'm making $5 a month right now. And I've spent like (laughs) a hundred hours on this project. So you definitely want to get out of that mindset of like, I spent 100 hours and I made $5, you know, um, yeah, because that's, that's what it's like. Let's talk about some of the things that you weren't doing,
0: because in order to build this business as a one person shop, you have to say no to a lot of things that you want to do. You have to say no to a lot of things that you're tempted to do. You can't just go out and waste a whole week getting a professional logo design, for example, because it's just not that important. <laughs> Are there any decisions that you explicitly remember not making with Hostify in the early days?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. The logo one's the first one that comes to mind. Actually, I'd already learned my lesson from having a service business and being obsessed about um, when I launched my service business, you know, five years ago or whatever. The first thing I was like, I need a great logo. And I went to a design firm and I paid them $2,500 or something to make me a logo. A wow. few, few years later, I was like, why did I do that? Like, I don't even like this logo. Went out and I got a cheaper logo for like 300 bucks. I liked better. I had, I had like a crowdsource design, like 99 designs do it or something. So this time I was like, I'm not even going to pay for a logo. So I, uh, I fired up GIMP, you know, like the, the free, I didn't even pay for Photoshop. I got like the free version of Photoshop, open source version. And, uh, I just, uh, picked the font off Google that I liked and changed the colors. And, you know, that's, (laughs) you know, that was one of the things that, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that. I didn't spend money on. I didn't hire anyone to help me. I didn't hire anyone to do marketing for me. I think that's something that if you're going to do this, like you need to learn how to do all of it yourself. And that way, when it, if it does scale or when it does scale, you like, you know what to teach other people to, because if you hire someone else to do it for you, then you're not going to know, you know how to do it yourself.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the things you mentioned earlier that I want to bring back up is that you weren't really writing unit tests for your code. You weren't trying to be An enterprise grade professional software engineer level programmer, you were just like, hey, I'm gonna make this work. And if I have to use WordPress or whatever, and that's good enough, then fine, it works. And this is something I think a lot of people get tripped up on being perfectionists about just one part of their business, zooming in too far. If you're a founder, you can't do that. You've gotta wear a lot of hats. You can't just go deep on any one part in isolation. And related to that, I think your point about not hiring and just learning to do everything yourself is huge. Not only do you save the time it would take to find and train somebody, and not only do you get to learn these valuable skills for yourself, but also you just save a lot of money. Hiring is super expensive. I know you're still a solo founder today, one year later. What do your expenses look like?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's profitable. And this, the expenses for me, for my business, they scale linearly with the amount of customers I have. So for each customer unlike a traditional software as a service, it's not like 100% profit for me or 99% profit or whatever. Each customer gets their own server, which, you know, costs me money. So I'm making, you know, $8,300 a month or whatever. And my expenses are uh, like $2,500, $3,000 a month for like servers and different um, different advertising and things that I'm doing these days.
0: Yeah, that's still not bad at all. It's still way better than a typical services business because you're still at a point where every customer pays for themselves. And even though it's a little bit expensive, it's still scalable. You're writing code. You don't have to do a whole bunch of work when you take on a new customer. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so let's skip ahead a lot on your timeline. March 25th, 2019, you posted a milestone that says 200 paying customers, $4,249 in monthly recurring revenue. What are some of the things you had to learn to get to that point?
1: See, so getting to 200 customers, uh, certain things, uh, Changed and a lot of things changed, but one of the one of the things that changed growth wise is I think it was about six months in. So like towards you know November December is when um, I started ranking in Google front first page, and pretty quickly the site went from like you know mid level first page to like top of like top result for search terms related to like Unify Cloud Hosting, and um, that's been the biggest growth. this day and i think i'm trying to think of like what helped that i don't know i you know sometimes when you know you just don't know why things work but i think when you have a brand new domain name it takes a while for it to just get old enough like uh the domain had only been registered in may and so um i think google doesn't really rank newly registered domains very well until they've they've been around for a while and they start to get some traffic Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest growth drivers for sure.
0: That makes sense because you said early on that you were testing out Google AdWords and that seemed to work. So the fact that search would still be a good channel today makes a lot of sense to me. It seems to be the primary way that people find you.
1: Yeah. And like early on before I had Google ranking, like how I got to like 25 customers or something like that is um, a combination of, like I said, like Twitter and stuff. I'm not sure how much that actually worked, but I know that was helping but one of the things I did was I, I searched for Unify Cloud Hosting and I saw what the top results were. And some of them, I, you know, you, don't, you can't change other people's websites, but some of the top results were forum posts of people asking about Unify Cloud Hosting. And I had access to, you know, post as a user. So I put in my signature about my business, Unify Cloud Hosting, and uh, I kind of engaged in the conversation on those threads, which were getting a lot of views from people who were searching for the thing that I do. So it was kind of like a hack to get on the front page before I was on the front page. So that was a slow yeah. trickle there. And then um, once I got on the front page, I only have, you know, one or two other, it's such a niche thing. There's only one or two other people that even do this at all. So, and, you know, they weren't doing it as seriously as I am, you know, as far as their how their website looks and stuff. So um, it was pretty quick that I was able to pass them up from, you know, just getting that traffic and focusing, continuing to focus every day on this.
0: Yeah, that's like the textbook benefit of choosing a niche. It's that you don't have a lot of competition. There aren't a ton of other businesses trying to fight with you and compete with you on the Google rankings. So even if you're a tiny one-person indie hacker business, you can kind of figure things out and just make a name for yourself. And you're not worried about all your potential customers choosing some massive company over you because they have 100 times more features. It's really just you. So it's cool to see this play out in your case. And your strategy of also going to these online forums and making posts reminds me a lot of the Zapier founders who did the same thing. So their software helps people connect one service to another. And there would be all these people asking questions about how they can do this and other product support forums. And the Zapier founders would come in and help them out. And it's a drudge work. It's a lot of comments you have to post. If you don't do it right, you're just spamming people and you'll get banned. But it kind of works if you're actually helping people solve their problems one at a time.
1: Yeah. The, and I, I got that idea too, from like the Microsass ebook. Like I pretty much got all my ideas. Like I just, I, I took that as like the blueprint for how to, how to do this. And I just really followed everything he said. So that was another thing he said was, uh, was to post on forums with your signature and all that stuff.
0: Let's talk about Tyler Tringis for a second, the author of the Microsass ebook book and also an investor in your company. So you've raised money from earnest capital they are one of a new breed of investors that are funding these indie hacker businesses who aren't trying to become billion dollar unicorns who really want to be profitable and self sustaining from day number one. When did you decide to raise money from Ernest, and what was that process like?
1: Well, um, just leading up to it was so exciting because, like, um, I think my first tweet that I ever wrote about launching Hostify, I, uh, you know, I tagged a. Tyler Tringus in it. I want him to know that like he inspired me from his book and everything. So I I kept following him on Twitter and stuff and I was watching what he was, he was up to. And it wasn't until like, I think November that I started to hear about, you know, I launched in May and then it was, you know, later in November that year, last year that I started to hear about, um, he was going to start Ernest Capital. I was so excited about that because, you know, that was exactly made for like what I was doing and everything. So I was following along and I think he did like like a video, like a live video about, you know, talking about it. And I was in there, I just happened to see that and I jumped in and asked questions. And so, I mean, that was in like November where I think he first like saw my name and stuff, asking questions about earnest capital. And then why I took the investment in January, it's kind of, it was all interesting timing. So like in January, I got actually fired from my job as a security analyst because my employer thought, you know, they, they found out about, um, Hostify as my side business They didn't like it. They had already asked me to uh, close, stop doing side work and stuff like that. And I had like basically ignored it. So they fired me. And so um, that was in January. And um, that was actually right when Earnest Capital Applications opened. I I just applied to it. I kind of needed the money because like, you know, obviously it would make it easier for me now that I had been fired and I was going to plan on going full time. But, um, you know, if I hadn't got the money, I would have still done everything exactly the way I've done it. Like mainly I applied for the mentorship. Like I was definitely super excited to be a part of what they're doing.
0: Can you share any details about your deal with Ernest? Like how much money you raised and what the terms were, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Like I, I don't think they don't like us to like talk about the terms so they can, you know, so we can't like compare it to other people's terms. However, you can see, um, they're very transparent about what the agreement looks like, how it works on their website and stuff. So you can expect like low six figures, like 100 to 250,000. And the um, the amount of money is used for like, it's to be used by you to make that transition. And they're looking for someone who's at around like 2,500 to 5,000 MRR. And they are in a spot where they're um, it's a side project that's starting to consume more of their time. And if they had the money to go full time, they could accelerate growth so i mean that's what they're looking for and i was right i was just barely in there like i was a little bit below 2500 mrr it was just like perfect timing so
0: well today things look very different you just passed one hundred thousand dollars and annual recurring revenue you're comfortably profitable you've got some breathing room i think to just make some new decisions and go in whatever direction you really want to what does the future look like for hostify
1: um, I hope it keeps getting bigger. Like I said, I've been surprised that it's uh, it's it's gotten as far as it did. I'm narrowing my focus to just do a really good job at this one specific thing, whereas before I was worried that it was too niche. So I had begun starting other projects. I had a bunch of uh, I actually launched two other SaaS businesses and an online community. But now that I've seen Hostify just continue to grow, I'm putting all my attention on Hostify for the last few months. I'm uh, working on a whole new website, um, with a bunch of automation and more, um, knowledge-based articles. Um, I just integrated like intercom and, and, um, just making the onboarding process really great for the customers and just smoothing things out all, all around.
0: What about on a more personal level? Do you think you'll keep the company small and just one person, or do you think you'll hire more people? And also, are there any revenue goals that you want to hit for yourself?
1: I've been thinking about like where I want to go next with it. And um I think, you know, taking on investment, like it did make me like a little bit more ambitious where I do want to get to a million dollars MR next. And uh I do see having a small team, I need some support help. And I'm hoping that, you know, I can get enough money from customers to justify hiring a few support people to help out. And uh, but yeah, I think just like a really small lean team and getting to like a million dollars a year would be awesome. Sounds awesome. Well, anyway, thank you so much, Riley, for coming on the show
0: and telling us about how you got to $100,000 in annual recurring revenue. Hopefully I can have you back on here at some point in the future to tell us how you got to a million. Can you let listeners know where they can go to learn more about what you're up to personally and what's going on with Hostify?
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me. Um, you guys to learn more about like follow my journey, like as an indie hacker, you know, obviously the, the indie hackers page. And then I also post updates at uh, rchase.com. And uh, each month this year, I've been posting updates about what I worked on this month. And then uh, my website for my business is hostify.net. All right. Thanks, Riley. Thanks.
0: Quick note for listeners. If you're interested in coming onto the podcast like Riley to have a quick chat with me. Go to ndhackers.com slash milestones and post a milestone about what you're working on. It can be pretty much anything. People have posted about launching or finding their first customer. They posted about growing their mailing list or hitting a thousand followers on Twitter. They've posted about getting to a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or even a hundred thousand dollars a month in revenue. The sky's really in the limit here. So whatever you're proud of, come celebrate it on ndhackers.com slash milestones and other indie hackers will help you celebrate. We love supporting each other. We love encouraging each other when we hit these milestones. And what I will do is at the end of every week, I will look at the top milestones posted and reach out to people to invite them to come onto the podcast for a quick chat. So once again, that's ndhackers.com slash milestones. I'm looking forward to seeing what you post.